Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Emily Post published the first version of her manual on manners in 1922. Maybe you were made to study it, like the word of the Lord of propriety at some point in your southern cotillion upbringing. Or maybe you ranged about like a wild mongrel, slouching one day into a used bookstore to find this curiosity where you opened it with an untamed laugh, reading about the intricacies of napkin folding and attracting men with flower arrangements or the delicate dance of how a roast should be served in a home that had, if you can stomach the idea, no household help. With each entry, your laugh faded as your mouth hung open in an entirely unmannerly way. Maybe that was just me. Throughout her life, Emily Post gave instructions to the most detailed of circumstances. And yet, when you asked her, if you boiled this all down, she said it came down to two sentences. Manners are a sensitive awareness to the feelings of others. If you have that awareness, you have good manners, no matter what fork you use. St. Thomas Aquinas wrote his Summa Theologica in the 15th century. You can buy the full set for about as much as it will take you to buy a reinforced bookshelf sturdy enough to hold it. It consists of 3,000 articles-ish, 10,000 questions or objections to the Christian faith, and yet it's unfinished work. Before he died, St. Thomas quit writing. No one's exactly sure what happened. It seems he had some sort of vision of God of the divine, and when it left, it took his words with him. A friend urged Thomas to continue to writing the Summa, but he said, the end of my labors has come. All that I have written appears to be as so much straw after the things that have been revealed to me. A lawyer approaches Jesus in our gospel He sent by the Pharisees a group of faithful people devoted to the 613 rules found in the scripture. You've read those rules, right? They're mostly in Leviticus. The kind of goat that's acceptable for a sacrifice or the bird exchange rate if you can't spare a goat. There are these beautiful rules about how to welcome strangers and neighbors into your society, along with commands to protect the poor and weaker members of it. But it's all mixed in with these elaborate commentaries on gaping wounds and discharge that you just can't unread. The lawyer approaches Jesus and asks him, of all of that, what's the most important? 
Jesus quotes Jewish scripture back to him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength. And then he quotes the book of rules and regulations, Leviticus. Love your neighbor as yourself. To be more specific, Leviticus Leviticus commands that you love the alien, the stranger, as yourself. On these two commandments hang all that other work, everything else. And maybe it's just me, but I hear this verse quite a lot from folks, actually. Among, among Jesus' greatest hits, this one definitely, in my experience, has the most traction in mainline Protestantism, which is funny in one way as if Jesus was saying something radical and new rather than this being an example of two Jews distilling their scriptures. But it seems like you hear this quoted in a way that makes it seem so simple. Like, just so long as people know that Christianity is about love, then that's it. If you just focus on love, then you've got the answer. The rest falls into place. I don't know. I've interacted with lots of Christians now, and we've all got pretty different ideas of what love looks like. For example, love is this feeling of warmth, amiability towards others that I maintain even when they're rude to me. Or that love is an action expressed in making a more just society doesn't matter what you feel. Love makes me put up with someone else's behavior quietly. Or love is what spurs me into telling them that their behavior is harmful. Love is being authentically you. Or love is the sensitivity to others that makes you alter your manners accordingly. Love makes me more open to others, or love makes me more defensive of those that I cherish. These opposing definitions of love go on and on, and they clash all over the world, in every society, even in a little Memphis church, even right in my own wayward heart. And sometimes, too, love is used as a panacea, like just add love it'll be better. I think anyone who has spent any time in a, ma in a family with others understands the demands and complications and sacrifices of deep love. I'm always suspicious when love looks like the path of least resistance, when it's easy on us, when it's easy for us. Anything worth doing is difficult. It's a truth of life. And if love is the thing most worth doing, it does follow that it would be the most difficult. And so I admit, I read this passage from our gospel today, and sometimes I just wish Jesus were a little more specific. Love is the answer in the back of the book, but in calculus you had to show pages of work on how you got to that answer. Emily Post went through every scenario before telling you to just be sensitive. Aquinas thought out every answer before saying, one taste of the glory of God made human knowledge like straw. 
Jesus knew all of scripture before he could say that these two things were what interpreted the rest. He didn't just arrive there. He couldn't skip the work. He wasn't dropped from the sky like a love guru. You might expect me as the priest around here with the word formation in her title to challenge you to consider the ways the easy answer has made you feel like the process of discovery could be disregarded. As though the answer, God is love, checks some cosmic Sunday school attendance box forever. But I, I'm more thinking today about my experience, too, that one of the things that folks find most frustrating about the Episcopal Church or at least the really earnest ones who come in looking for answers because they have been given answers before. They want answers from us, too. And a Summa Theologica is exactly what we don't have. I don't know if you realize this, but our catechism is just this slim little volume at the back of our prayer book quick and good read for the basics of what it means to be an Episcopalian, but it's not exhaustive. There's a reason it's like this, actually. The Anglican tradition that we come from was born in a time where we swung from this Protestant Reformation back to Catholic leaders, back to Protestant-ish, and then had a bunch of civil wars with Puritans and Baptist-like people. And somehow in that, all of that, the body didn't break apart. It made us unique. We began to say that it wasn't thinking the same way or holding the same tenets that made us who we are. It was our ability to keep praying together that mattered. It wasn't dispensing an unassailable monolith of reasoning or catechism that everyone had to subscribe to, though your reason matters deeply in your being formed into the image of Christ. It didn't mean that we had a manual of behavior that determined who was in or who was out, though your actions are paramount in determining the trajectory of your soul. Our unity, what makes us who we are, is our prayer. It's our creeds. It's a sort of beautiful and frightening, a terrible freedom you're given around here. You're handed the tools of scripture and tradition and reason and are told to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But it's not this answer at the back of the book that God is looking for. What does it mean to love God with your whole self? It's your life that's the answer. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates, or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. 
Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee. Mm-hmm.